All right, good morning, Riverview. It's good to be with you today. My name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. So I've been on staff at Riverview for 14 years. And over that time, um, I've often been asked to write letters of recommendation for people. And every now and then, right, as people are applying for jobs or, or schools or scholarships or other things, they need a letter from someone in their life who knows them, who can speak about their character, the things that they care about. You know, I remember having to do this myself when I was applying for colleges and scholarships and jobs and things like that. But the main purpose of a letter of recommendation is to help someone know who you're writing about, right? What they've accomplished, why they deserve the scholarship or the spot in your company. And this week I saw a news story about this college professor who had been asked to write a letter uh, of recommendation for a student in their class. This was a university student. And um, what he did was he had ChatGPT write the letter instead uh, of him. And he put all these qualifiers in, like don't say this, don't say that, right, to kind of set it apart from, from other letters. But within seconds, he had a very well-put-together letter of recommendation for this student. And months later, that very student won the prestigious scholarship to Cambridge. Yeah, and this letter of recommendation written by AI helped him do that. Like, isn't that wild? Like, I actually tried it after reading this article. I went in the chat GPT search bar, and I was like, write Tony, me, a letter of recommendation to a university, praising my intellect, my character, and my service. And within seconds, it produced it. And I read it, I'm like, I feel so encouraged, like this thing, oh my gosh, like it knows me, or it doesn't, I don't know, but I, I was feeling pretty good about myself with what it said. But, you know, it wasn't wrong for this professor to do this. I mean, you can, you can do this, right? Um, but what's really fascinating to me is that this letter spoke to this student's character and their accomplishments and all these things that a letter of recommendation is supposed to do, but it didn't know this student at all. We're in this series here at RIV called Cruciformed, where we're walking through the New Testament letter of 2 Corinthians. And we actually saw, when we heard that read today, that text, we actually see letters of recommendation explicitly mentioned in the text. Just like colleges or businesses that need information on those who are applying, Paul was beginning to feel this tension from the Corinthian church of needing to prove himself or, or, or maybe remind them of what it meant for him to be an apostle. And as he was feeling that, Instead of providing these letters that other people were providing the Corinthians about who they were, he encouraged them to look somewhere else, not only for credibility of who he was, but credibility of the work that God was doing in that community. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your cruciform journals here that we gave out, if you don't have one of those, by the way, we are still giving them out in our info center. Uh, you can feel free to take one of those. But that's going to be page 28 of your journals. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3 today, uh, just about six or seven verses. We're going to start in the very beginning, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So this first verse uh, we find ourselves in, Paul asks two rhetorical questions to this community. If you've read much of Paul in the New Testament, this is something he loves to do. He loves to ask questions that he doesn't expect an answer to, and then he answers them himself in the next verse, which he's going to do. But in order for us to kind of get at what he's talking about here, we need to go back to the last verse of chapter 2. This is the previous verse where we ended last week. This is chapter 2, verse 17, where it says this. For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ 
as from God and before God. So during this time and in this place, people, certain people were traveling around and they were teaching the word of God, but they were doing so for personal profit. They weren't really tied to any local churches or any cities or anything like that, but what they would do is they would go around and they would have these letters of recommendation and they would say, look, I should be able to teach you what the word says because of all these people that say I can do this. But, he, but, but we see here that to Paul, these people were insincere in their motives. He actually said this, they marketed the word of God. Other translations say that they, they were peddlers of the word of God. But the Corinthian church apparently had given them a hearing. Whenever these teachers, some thought they were Judaizers, which are kind of like religious Pharisees that, that were um, making the, the law still like burdensome on Christians. See, what, what was happening was they were coming into churches and saying, you still had to live this way. And the Corinthians were allowing them to, to be in their gatherings. But as they did so, we see that they were doing it for selfish reasons. They were beginning to discredit Paul and who he was. And we picked this up based on one of the questions he asked. He says, do we, Paul, do I need letters of recommendation f- from you or to you? In the ancient world, letters of recommendation were just like today, right? They proved who you were to a group of people that didn't know you. And this wasn't always a bad thing. In other letters that Paul writes, he writes letters commending certain people. They're kind of like letters of recommendation. But Paul's asking this question rhetorically because of how absurd it would have been for him to need a letter to the Corinthians. Paul was the one who planted the Corinthian church. He spent nearly two years in Corinth sharing the gospel, getting to know people, and eventually helping that church get started. We read all about it in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Look, I'm just going to kind of jump through this text to kind of get the high points, but this this is what it says. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Then verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to the preaching of the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 8, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and were baptized. And then verse 11, Paul stayed there a year and a half teaching and teaching the word of God among them. At the point that Paul was writing this letter of 2 Corinthians, he'd already been to Corinth twice. He'd spent time in their homes. He prayed with them. He lived alongside them. But for some reason, their belief in his character and the validity of his life and ministry, they were being called into question. And this is most likely happening through outside influences, people who are coming into the church and discrediting him. You really want to follow a guy who suffers like that? Like, there's no way God is with him. Are you serious? Now, we may struggle to understand why this matters, but let's just think about this in maybe more of a modern context to kind of just get a picture. Say, maybe you move to a new city, and you're really excited to be there, but you want to start a business in this new city. So you live there. You get to know the community. You spend time with the people, you, you, your, your kids go into schools there, you shop, you, you do everything there. And when you're there, you establish this business that really serves the community. And what's really cool about this business is that you actually hire people from the city to work there, right? You raise up employees, you find a manager, all this stuff, and it is a great thing. Over time, the business is successful, but the time comes where you say, look, I want to do this somewhere else. I'm going to take Tony's Diner to the next city, right? And, and then so you leave. And then you're, but time comes and you think, ah, oh, I really wonder how my diner's doing. I wonder how all those people are doing. So you call them up, say, hey, I'd love to come back and see you. Maybe do some training for your employees. And then they're like, sure, but who are you again? Like, can you just, no, you should probably send your resume. 
Maybe get one of those letters of recommendation from ChatGBT, and, and you know, but like, no, it's so absurd to think this, right? I wonder what Paul is thinking as he's writing this. I wonder if he's just sad <laughs> that the Corinthians feel this way about him, or, or if he's frustrated at these false teachers. But the reality is that God set Paul apart as an apostle. He called him to this life's work of representing him, of speaking with authority that God had given to him. And even though it was in this power that Paul planted the Corinthian church, they were beginning to disbelieve that and the power that God was displaying through Paul, but also through their own community. So Paul asks the question, do I really need a letter to prove this, who I am to you? And then in typical Pauline style, he's going to answer his own question in verse 2. He says this, You yourselves, you Corinthians, are, are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, I love what Paul says here. While others were showing up in Corinth, opening up their bags, pulling out their letters, saying, hey, look, look who signed this. Look who wrote this for me. Paul didn't need to do that. He's like, look, if you want to be reminded of who I am, of, of the power of God, all you have to do is look at your own life. Look at your relationships. Look at the community that God has formed that's all they had to do. Now, what Paul writes here, I love it. It's so rich. We're just going to pick it apart line by line. First, he says that they themselves are Paul's letter of recommendation written on our hearts. Now, when you read Paul's letters throughout the New Testament, they don't read like academic papers. They don't read like just really line by line, just information. They're emotional. He is writing to people he loved. He's writing to communities that he helped form, that he spent years of his life with, like these Corinthians. I mean, here's just an example of some of what Paul wrote in the very first words of his letters. In Ephesians, he says, I never stop giving thanks for you in my prayers. To the Philippians, I give thanks to my God every time I remember you. When I'm just going about my day and I think about the Philippians, I'm just smiling. I'm so happy. Romans, I constantly mention you, and I'm asking that it's God's will that I can come and visit you. Colossians, we always thank God when we pray for you. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians, this is what he says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. For Paul, as he traveled around the world, as, as he shared the gospel, his burden for those that he met and that he ministered to, it only increased. In my younger years, I had an opportunity to do middle school and high school ministry. Um, and when I became a pastor, uh, my wife, Danielle, she actually framed this for me. Um, these are three different pictures of just three different seasons of ministry uh, that, that I've had an opportunity to do. Here at the top, I'm in the pink shorts right there. Um, but at the top, I was in college at Michigan State University, and I was a Young Life leader in Eaton Rapids. And this is a picture of us out on a hiking trip in Colorado. And then in this middle picture here, this is when I was on staff at Riverview. Uh, these are Holt High School guys that I took to Timberwolf Lake, a camp uh, up in northern Michigan. But then this picture at the bottom was February of 2015. 
nine years ago uh, when I was recognized as a pastor here at Riverview. And every day when I walk into my office, I see this. And it's a reminder. These people, they are written on my heart. You are written on my heart. I love getting to be your pastor. It's such a blessing. And when Paul is talking about people that God has put in his life, that he's put in his midst, that he just got to talk about Jesus with, that he got to maybe be with when they got baptized, or as they grew spiritually, they were written on his heart. These Corinthian people were that for Paul, and he says that to them. The next thing he says is that they were known and read by everyone. There was an outward impact to the life of the Corinthian people. As people heard about this community in Corinth turning to Christ and seeing their lives transformed, what they were, they were like a living billboard to the power of God. If you know anything about Corinth in this time, it was raucous. It was a sinful place. And that there were people that were turning from that life toward Jesus was a miracle. Last week, I talked about how in our Rift community, we take time to hear people's faith stories. And every time we hear them, we're reminded of the grace and power of God in that person's life. And one of the unique blessings that we have as followers of Jesus is that we don't do this by ourselves. We live together in community. When we hear of one person growing in their faith, that spurs us on to want to grow in our faith. Paul alludes to this in the very next thing that he says. He says, you show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us. Now, I love what Paul says here. It's really important. He doesn't take credit for what was happening in the Corinthians. Whose letter is it? It's Christ's letter. The supernatural change that happened in them can only be attributed to God. As they heard about God and they, and they heard the gospel, the impact of that was like Jesus writing a letter of recommendation to the world. Look at what I have the power to do in a person. When you look at these people, you don't see a community who became Christians because of their hard work and their ingenuity. What you see are a people who were once dead in their sins, now alive in the Spirit of God. And all of that happened through the power of God. But even as Jesus was the source of that change, Paul was important. He says, you are Christ's letter delivered by us. So what was Paul's job? He delivered the mail. <laughs> That's what he did, right? As Paul reflected on how this happened in the Corinthians, what he says, it really encapsulates what every single Christian should do. Deliver the mail. We share the life-changing message of the gospel. We display the life-changing message of the gospel with our lives. I mean, this is the great commission Jesus gave his first followers in Matthew 28. He told them, go and make disciples. Baptize them, teach them everything I've commanded. Here, Paul tells the Corinthians that instead of a piece of paper vouching for him, all they needed to do 
was look at themselves. Look at how you are becoming more like Jesus. Look at how your affections towards sin are are lessening and your desires for godliness are increasing. That was more than enough proof that God was at work. In the last part of this section, Paul contrasts two different ways that these letters could have been written. He says that they are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's Paul talking about here? Well, what he's doing is he is showing that the change that has happened in them, it was not temporary. It was eternal. And it was lasting. If you write things in ink, what happens? They fade. Over time, you can't see it anymore. In the Old Testament, God wrote the law on stone tablets for the people, but tablets break. Paul uses that picture to show that the work God does in making someone alive, it is irreversible and it is lasting. Their lives are like letters, living letters, written by the Spirit of God onto human hearts. This is where Paul points the Corinthians. As he reminds them of who he is, of who God is, he actually goes a step further to remind them of why he is competent for this work. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. He writes this, Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It's not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you were here with us last week, we talked briefly about Paul's life before he became a Christian. He was a Jewish Pharisee, which means he was a high-ranking Jewish leader, and he persecuted the church. He wasn't apathetic towards those Christians and, and the way. No, he was like, that needs to stop. He was zealous against stopping the message of the gospel going out. And over the course of his life, he had a glowing resume of what a Jewish Pharisee should have been. It is where he was confident. It's probably where he said, look, I am adequate for this work because of this. And he actually listed it in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about his life before he was a Christian and all these things he found confidence in. This is Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, Paul writes, I have more. I'm better. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. What Paul writes here would have been a fantastic letter of recommendation. The high priest himself could have said, that is who he is. He is all those things. And not many people could compare with what Paul wrote. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. Everything. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, everything I just said, 
all the ways I elevated myself above everybody else. Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When God saved Paul, he opened his eyes to his life, to all the things he found valuable, where he justified himself, where he found his confidence. And he showed him, Paul, none of that compares to knowing me, to experiencing life with me. Everything Paul was confident in before, it didn't make him more attractive to God, didn't make him more loved by him, because when Paul repented of his sin and he turned toward Christ, that was when God made him competent. He gave him the Spirit. The Spirit makes us competent. It made Paul adequate for the work. That word shows up there a few times. If you see it, it's competent, adequate, competent, competent. The Greek word there is hykonos. And it's not some secret meaning word. It just means adequate or able, enough, sufficient. In Paul's life, he had the unique blessing of being an apostle. He met Jesus face to face. He got his marching orders from him. And as Paul went about this work of making Jesus known and planting churches, he no longer pointed to that resume. He didn't show up in communities with his letter of recommendation from the high priest saying, hey, look, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I'm blameless in the law. Do you know what he said? I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. By the will of God, I'm an apostle. He no longer claimed anything is coming from himself, but all of it from God. Look at what he says in verse 6. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This verse is kind of a teaser into the next 12 verses that we're going to be in next week, where we're going to see these two things. We're going to see the old covenant, and we're going to see the new covenant. And how this thing that was once glorious does not compare to what God is doing in the new covenant. You can feel free to read ahead. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. But here's the last verse we're going to hit next week, and it's a beautiful reminder of who we are and what God is doing. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, as he began to question his validity and his character, he asked them a question. Do I really need a letter of recommendation to prove who God is, what he's doing? He had an answer for him. If you want proof of who I am, of the goodness of God, of the power of the gospel. Just look at yourselves. Look at your life. Look at your community. You yourselves are our letter. You're written on our hearts. We love you. 
and you are known and read by everyone. I love that Paul said that last line, that they were known and read by everyone. What it tells us, there was an outward impact to the Corinthian church. When people saw them, they thought, what changed them? That's true today. When we choose to follow Christ, that is what happens. You become a living letter that testifies to the work of God. Just as the Corinthians were that for Paul, in a way, in, in the ministry of God, our lives show that God is real, that he's at work in us and around us. When you ask for a letter of recommendation for someone, what you're asking for is, can you help convince this organization or this person that I'm legit, that I have character, that I work hard? You know me. It's a snapshot of who you are. And see, as God works in your life, the Spirit transforms you. He makes you more and more like Jesus, which to the world around you, that's not a testament to you. It's a testament to God and his glory and his goodness more than anything else. How your desires change, how you begin to have peace instead of just being riddled with the anxiety that used to just capture you all the time. How your justification is no longer in yourself and in what others say about you, but in what God says about you. Just like the Apostle Paul, that begins when you have an encounter with God and you see Jesus clearly, which helps you see yourself and your need for him clearly. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he talks about this process that happens to anyone who chooses to follow Jesus. This is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. He writes this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them, and our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Notice in verse 1, Paul starts by talking in past tense. He was talking to the Christians in Ephesus who were like Christians everywhere else. They were once dead in our sin, in their sin. We were once dead in our sin. It's who we were. It's how we lived. It's what we valued. It's how we justified ourselves. But God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. And this is all God's grace to us. One commentary I read, I love how he connected this idea here we see in Ephesians 2 to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where we just were today. Scott Haithman, he writes this, The Spirit raises us from the deadness of our sinful lives and makes us a letter from Christ who speak of his transforming grace in our own words and display his power by our deeds. Think about your life. How is your life reflecting the transforming grace and power of God. 
the hope and peace that you have as a living letter written by Jesus. What does that look like for you? Well, maybe what this looks like for you is as you deal with stress at work, instead of just adding to the noise and the frustration like other people do, you just choose to quietly continue to work hard and be a peaceful presence among your coworkers. Maybe if you're home with young kids and you're not sleeping and you can't seem to get a break, instead of disconnecting from your family, you remember that Jesus himself was often tired and he often needed to retreat. He just needed to be with his heavenly father. He just needed to pray. Maybe as life's anxieties show up, instead of just spiraling into despair, you choose to trust in the sovereignty of God and that he knows what you're going through and he knows what you need in the middle of it. Just this week, some guys from the Westside venue and I, we were sitting down and we were having breakfast together. We were sharing life and, and we just, the conversation just led us to this this reminder of, of our faith centers on hope. We are good news people. God has made us alive with Christ. In his grace, he saved us through the work of Jesus. And now through the work of the Spirit, he's making us more like him. That is amazing. That is a miracle. I think we often forget that. Amidst the craziness of life, the stresses of work and, and relationships and family, everything that's being asked of us. Following Jesus, it is an incredible joy. Everyone's putting their hope in something. And as Christians, our hope is in something that God has already done and what he continues to do, making people alive in him and helping them experience life in rich relationship with him. And as we live out that life, we remember that just like the Corinthians, we are living letters, testifying to the goodness of God and the blessing of being known by him. Would you pray with me? Father, I just, I thank you for your word that we can open it every Sunday and have you speak to us. God, in your love, you have given us your word. We don't have to wonder about who you are, about who we are, about what you care about. We, we can know because you've given it to us. God, I just, I thank you that it is purely your grace that saves us. We, we can't take credit. It is your work and it is your power. And God, when we just live in obedience to you, when we trust you and life stresses, when we go to you, when, when we can't go anywhere else, it's a beautiful thing.
because our lives are testifying to who you are. We are living letters that are known and read by the world. Father, help us remember that a life following Jesus, there's nothing better than that. It's a joyful life. It's a peaceful, it's a peaceful life. It's not a life free of anxieties and hardships and difficulties, but God, it is a good life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.